You're listening to In Between Agencies, a podcast dedicated to musicians and the individuals that support them. I'm your host, Bryce Birdsall, and on this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrea Smith, tour manager for LCD Sound System. I hope you enjoy. I guess we can just start. I, how has this year been since being able to be back on tour? This year has been very insane because we took such a long time off due to the pandemic, obviously. Coming back into it was difficult for many reasons. First of all, being the travel that everyone has seen go completely awry this year, canceled flights, lost baggage. It definitely impacted everybody in the industry and everything that we do. We travel for our jobs, and a lot of times we're in different cities every single night. So that brought a lot of challenges that we've never had to deal with before. And dealing with COVID as well and people getting sick on the road or how to prevent people from getting sick and how to make the best decisions to keep the band safe, the crew safe, and also the audience members safe because we're not trying to get anybody sick and we're just trying to do what's best for ourselves and keep the band afloat and also you know, deliver what we're supposed to be delivering at the same time. So it was a very difficult year. Yeah, but it had, I guess, rewarding at the same time, too. Very when, rewarding. When I met you, we were at a studio, and you were not touring at the moment. And yeah, I remember you expressing, you were like, I miss this part of me so much. Correct. Um, how did you, I guess we should say who you, who you are the tour manager for, which is, I think, very exciting. But Yes, so I tour manage LCD Sound System. They are amazing. I love working for them. I love my job very much. And coming back to it this year was rewarding and was wonderful, even with all the chaos that was going on. No, that's great. No, it's perfect. I think that, you know, those trials and tribulations, like getting everything set, especially traveling with COVID, or, um, they make us a lot craftier. <laughs> <laughs> for Stronger. lack of a better term like you're like oh I know that like this flight is going to connect here and I have to you know just put luggage on a boat or I've done that before where like you know our luggage wasn't going to make it somewhere we we're going and I we put it on a boat and the boat oh, made yeah. it so I'm sure you've done that too <laughs> we had helicopters trains buses everything that we could this year to make it happen and we made it happen so no it's so it's so fun to see like the creative problem solving that you do on a daily basis um for those of us that don't exactly know all the ins and outs of what a tour manager is responsible for can you give us like a 101 breakdown absolutely touring is such an interesting part of the industry that not a lot of people know about as me and you have discussed before so my job as a tour manager i work with a production manager we're a team of two and on bigger tours you get to have even bigger production teams and just more team members to make everything happen the production manager deals with the gear and the movement of gear and more or less the crew that's in charge of that gear. So every guitar on stage, every amp, every microphone, every light goes more towards the production manager. And then I, as the tour manager, handle more of people and hospitality. So flights, travel, what we're eating, when we're eating it, the schedules, every little thing that the band can need on or off the stage. A lot of emotional management, a lot of people management, and just making sure that all the parts that the production manager needs, that the crew needs, that the band needs, all come together seamlessly. Wow. So you, it's a couple of things, just, just a just few. Just a few. <laughs> I feel like you must hold so much space for other people in that process. Yeah, you have to 
Oh, it's, it's really fun to see all of that come together on stage. I had the pleasure of attending one of those shows, courtesy of you, so thank you for that. But You're welcome. Um, it was such a special night because it was my, my friend's birthday, and they were like, we get to go on that night on our birthday? Like, they were very excited, and I'd never... I don't really know the backstory or, you know, all of the all of the importance. Obviously, they are an important band in the New York City culture, but it's just it's fun to see you navigate those spaces so well. Do you have um, do you remember your first show that you ever went to when you were growing up that made you be like, oh, this I love this? Or did you have a moment where you were like, I want to do this? Um, I had a moment where I knew I wanted to do this, but it wasn't a show that I saw. I was a musician growing up, and I was always around musicians, uh, but I didn't really love being in the spotlight. I didn't necessarily love the performance part of it, but I loved everything surrounding the performance part of it. And I realized this very young, which is a weird thing to realize very young, and in middle school and high school I was running the lights or setting up the chairs or organizing everybody's music during my lunch period, like one of those weird kids who <laughs> just really enjoyed all of this organization around making the performance possible. But when I really found what I wanted to do, uh, I was in college, I was interning at a bunch of different places, I did venue work, I did some record label work, I was just trying to find where I fit into the music industry because there are so many different areas of it. And I know you've interviewed a lot of different people in all these different areas as well. and. I was working for an artist manager doing office work. I wasn't even involved in the live music side of it yet, but this artist had a fundraiser show that had 20 different artists playing at that show. And I was involved in it because I was involved in the office and it was this giant team that was working on it. And it was maybe the most exhausting day of my life. I was 18, 19. I had never worked anything like that before and pretty much just worked a 23-hour day running around nonstop, sweating, exhausted, dealing with all these things that I didn't even know people had to deal with before. And I just remember waiting for a car at the end of the night, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I was so happy. I just felt so fulfilled and so accomplished. I was like, whatever this job is, I have to do it. I have to figure out how to do this for the rest of my career and wow. that was that was the show wow that's that feeling sticks with you definitely sticks with you yes. over the years finding something that makes you feel accomplished and validated and seen even if I wasn't really being seen by the artist or the audience I just felt like I had found my place it was something I was good at it was something that I enjoyed and I just ran with it from there Oh, that's great. What what music or musical instruments did you play? I played a bunch, actually. I played piano, violin, and percussion, drums mainly. That's awesome. I was okay. I was, <laughs> I was okay. I performed, you know, I, I did fine. But that, like I said, that wasn't really where... I loved the music aspect of it, but the performance part of it was, was not my calling. No, that's great. I mean, talk us through. So you had that evening, and then what? I continued with that artist manager and expressed to them that I wanted to become more involved in the live elements of it. And I was still in college at the time, so she said to me, "Like, you need to finish your degree. I'm gonna put you as a tour manager with this baby band. They were doing a van and trailer tour. I found a way to go on tour as a tour manager 
underage with a fake ID, um, <laughs> driving a van across the nation while still in college, writing my thesis in the back of a van, because this manager basically said to me, if you can handle this band, if you can do fine on this little tour with this van with these five crazy girls who are still close friends of mine today, we'll take you on the road. We'll take you on a real tour. We'll see how you do. And so I went on that tour and I got my ass kicked by these girls and I had no idea what I was doing. I was in way, way, way over my head and every day was just an intense learning experience. But every day I just wanted to come back for more. Every day I was ready to get my ass kicked again. I just loved it so much. So I finished that tour and I guess I did well enough and I flew right from my dorm room onto my first big bus tour, my real tour. Wow. Watched my graduation on a screen from the basement of an Atlanta venue. I was like, that's that's me. I just graduated college, wow. got right back to work. <laughs> wow. So you knew you had the, some people have that calling. They're like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm meant to do. And that's a really precious thing. And to see you kind of navigate like those I feel like those positions where there's an extremely high learning curve is when you're like I'm onto something and it's not easy at all how did you care for yourself during that time I definitely didn't at first (laughs) and I think that's something with touring that comes with experience is self-care because our schedules and our lives become so intense just with the constant moving and the long days and the emotional intensity that you're dealing with all the time, especially in a position like mine where we are absorbing the emotions of the band and the crew and trying to make everybody happy. So for a while, I did not know how to deal with it that well, and I would run myself down. Um, I think that type of thing, with all of us in life and with any job, really, it just you start to learn how to set proper boundaries and put yourself first where you need to and you just learn a lot more balance that's the trick of it isn't it yeah it's not easy (laughs) and i'm still i'm still working on it yeah we all are that's so cool i think everybody reads or hears or watches like films or documentaries where like they're talking about like the the van and bus touring Mm. situation i feel like it's really romanticized or it's like Yeah, I guess it is romanticized because even thinking about like if you read Scar Tissue, Mm -hmm. I feel like in that like Anthony Kiedis talks about, you know, we're we're in the van and we're like going to these like shitty shows and like they're little and, you know, we're all just like sharing clothes and like, I don't Mm know, along those lines. And I think it's like really made to be this thing that's like, I don't know, cutting your teeth in a way. Do you feel like that? time now that you're obviously on like bigger stages and you're traveling by plane or you know different modes of transportation but higher not higher Mm -hmm. end but like higher speed do Mm -hmm. you feel like you reminisce on those days or do you romanticize those days now like looking back on them I definitely do I don't think it's something I would want to do again necessarily but yeah there is just this wonderful memory of the closeness and the experience and the bond with these five women. One motel room, a blow-up mattress on the floor, and everybody has to share beds. You're showering at the venue. You're eating trail mix every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's something so raw and unique about that experience, and especially me going through it at the time of my life that I was. Of course, I look back on those memories with such fondness and love, and I'm so glad I got to 
experience those things before moving on to bigger tours because it also makes me more appreciative and aware of a lot of things on these larger tours that people I see that jump from corporate gigs right onto big tours or just start on big tours don't really appreciate as much or even realize that they have these types of luxuries that not all of us had when we started touring. It's funny that change, like you get used to like a very specific kind of like, I don't know, a type of water. Like, you know, I when I travel with a crew, they're like, we want to fly Delta. And I'm like, mm-hmm. guys, can we try Emirates? And like, can we relax? Because it's not that serious and Emirates is nicer sometimes, you but know? My like, points, but my yeah, points, but my sky miles. That's 100% <laughs> what it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're like, oh, the hotel's like a little far away. And you're right. like, well, you're staying in a hotel. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's funny that that comes with the territory too. Absolutely. Um, my first big tour, I opened my hotel room and I had this giant corner room, and I was so confused. I was the tour manager assistant, and I called my tour manager, and I was like, is this for me? Am I sharing this room with somebody? Like, am I supposed to meet somebody else for the key? And he was so confused, and he was like, no, that that's your room. We don't share rooms. That's all for you. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, of course, yeah, okay. And I hung <laughs> up, and I was just the happiest person. I was, like, bouncing on the hotel bed as a 20-year-old just in shock because I – hadn't had that before no that's such a it's kind of like a core memory not to not to make it sound cheesy but (laughs) because I just love that term because it's like something that sticks with you as you kind of continue and grow and it's also like that is what you deserve you know I think I think that a lot of you know like we've chatted about like a lot of emotional space is made for others Mm -hmm. and we have to be very considerate of what other people need at all times and how to how to make things work for them. So I think it's important to take the biggest room sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) I'll take the upgrade. Yeah. Um, But making sure everyone else is taken care of, of course, is is the job. No, that's so fun. Have you had any moments while you're on tour that really stand out as watching a group of people get close or you know has there been anything that you're like kind of sitting back and watching the people that you're around and you're like this is really obviously the whole experience is special and trying and but all rewarding in the same breath but like have you seen people grow and challenge themselves and like really transform during that time together I've had the pleasure of working with some of the bands I've been working with for quite a while now, many years, pre-pandemic and then post-pandemic, because we just get hired for, I probably should have said this before, but I'm a freelance person, Mm. and most of the people on the crew are, so you really just get hired for a tour cycle with a band. You aren't on with the management company on a normal payroll. You just get put on a tour cycle, which can sometimes be two months or sometimes two years, and then you get to go on to another one. And if you're lucky, and if you have the bonds with that band, they ask you back. So I am fortunate enough where I have amazing bonds with some of the bands I work for and have been able to do multiple tours with them over multiple years. And yes, see both band members grow and crew members grow more into themselves or more comfortable with themselves or more comfortable with their job. And it is just such a cool thing because we spend so much time together too much time together (laughs) when you're on the road you are each other's work buddies you're each other's social buddies you become 
emotionally invested in everybody's lives because that's who you're with and that's who you're talking to more often than your family and partners sometimes due to time zones, due to work day, due to so many different factors. So that really becomes your family, your road family. People call it your Torah family sometimes and, and it's really true. Um, so it has been a pleasure to watch a lot of people grow. I'm not sure if there's really one moment that I can think of, but I'm definitely a fly on the wall in a lot of situations, especially being involved with the band so heavily. You know, I know my place and I do my job, um, but I also like to give them space to be a band and to bond in the way that the live performers need to bond as well. So I am just there a lot of times. And those are some of the best moments in a way when I get to just see them all be so happy after a show or, you know, a little buzzed and just laughing and enjoying each other's company. And when they're happy, it makes me and the crew and everybody involved feel like, you know, we did our job to the best of our abilities. And that's always the best feeling. No, that's... That was a long answer. No, I, I love a long answer. <laughs> I love a long answer. That's that's why why we're here. But I think I think there's something about that, you know, getting to see people do something so I mean music is it's so intimate Mm -hmm. but it's so obviously it's shared and people form connections and have like very very deep emotional relationships with songs or Mm -hmm. moments um I mean do you feel like watching the audience is half the fun sometimes because it's maybe people's like first time seeing them or it'll be people's like I don't know a hundredth or depending on who it is but that's true I don't always get to watch the audience because there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, fair. (laughs) Well, also, when they're on stage, it's kind of the one time that everybody's on stage doing something else, and I can (laughs) catch up on some of my other items. But, no, I do try to see the audience when I can, and there are definitely moments um, at Brooklyn Steel, like small venues where you get to see people's faces and you see everyone screaming along or singing along that, yeah, just makes it so much more magical there's a cheesy word so you're not the only one being cheesy but it really is sometimes and especially when you're close with the band and you know how much they put behind those lyrics or that song and the hours of practice and the you know the effort that has gone into that to see everyone appreciating it is so beautiful i feel like the brooklyn steel shows were quite a time they were were. a little controversial maybe like people were I mean, you canceled the last three shows, I think. We did, yes. Um, and I know that must have been a really hard decision, but I don't know. I think I think that venue is really special too. Like the whole the whole thing was just so cool to get to be like an outsider coming in and seeing this whole world and like the sea of people that mm-hmm. were they knew every word and every beat and every single like moment there. And I got to be you know more of an observer. Like obviously the New York I Love You, You're Bringing Me Down. Like, that's my favorite LCD Sound System song. But, it's a good one. Yeah, it's, um, it is. But it's, like, I feel like getting to see everyone just, like, really express and go. And I don't know. There's something really cool about it. The disco ball. Can we talk about the disco of ball for a second? <laughs> the disco ball. The disco ball. It's the, is it the same one at every venue? or We don't travel with Okay, fair, <laughs> fair. That we would source be... it. We source it. No, that's. Although we we were just talking about this the other day, we should probably just own a disco <laughs> ball at this point. Yeah. Um, but that's difficult to travel with as well. 
so yeah. to think about. Naturally, yeah. packing it in your... Right, shipping it is <laughs> chaos. But yeah. one more thing about the audience, yeah. not to go back, but I just love what you said so much. And I should have said before that it you know affects the band as well. Like when the audience is more low-key or not dancing as much, it, it reflects on the band and their energy. Oh, yeah. So seeing really you know, high energy audiences that are super into it make me really happy because it makes them really happy. Every band I've ever worked with, like, and you can really see it in their performance and it just brings the bond between audience and band together, I feel. And it's just so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, music is also energy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's sound waves and, and vibration and all these things, but it is energy at the end of the day. And right. I think that... Um, it's something that is obviously so shared and so communal but really intimate at the same time but do you have um a favorite venue type in terms of like festival setting or small small intimate shows unplugged or I don't know I definitely don't like festivals either (laughs) okay great me either good 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 anything bigger than Webster Hall is too big (laughs) Brooklyn's oh no no that's not true um I really like doing the Brooklyn Steel size to theater venues. There is something very cool about doing arenas as well. I guess in between Brooklyn Steel and arenas are my favorite. Um, Anything bigger than that, it's way less intimate. Festivals are a whole other category of chaos, um, just in terms of logistics and planning and backstage, and it's a shared stage. When you are doing a venue show, it is your space, essentially. I mean, it's the venue space. There's venue staff that we are grateful to work with and always respectful of. But, you know, we're coming in and it's our show and we kind of get to make the backstage how we want it or set up the stage and set everything up how we want it. Um, And that's always, you know, just such a different experience than walking into a festival stage where you have 10 bands on one stage and it's not really your space and you're kind of just cycling through as quickly as possible and you have changeovers and it's very different. Uh, and way less intimate. I like the Brooklyn Steels, which shout out, by the way, because we're talking about them quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's such an intimate experience and everybody has a good seat in that venue and everyone gets to have the same experience. If you're in the pit or if you're in the back or if you're in the balcony, you get to share in that vibe and those vibrations with the band. So I love that. No, that's cool. And I think your your definition of intimacy is so interesting too because to me... I'm like a, I like teeny tiny venues. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I can't touch you, <laughs> it's too too big. But I feel like Brooklyn Steel, that is the the one thing that, you know, everybody does have a good view and it did feel closer. It's like a, it's the perfect in between, but you're, you're thinking of it as that feels really intimate to you because you probably experience like obviously festivals and True, arenas, arenas and right. also anything smaller than that can just be too small logistically. Like then you have to, you know, I have to, our job on the back end is, you know, it's less about the audience experience than, you know, it'd be a better show for you guys, but smaller venues, teeny tiny venues can't always accommodate what the band Mm -hmm. needs. So those are just way harder, which is full nightmares. We played a show in Aspen with a stage probably the size of this table. And you've seen LCD yeah, before. There's a lot of instruments. <laughs> right. There's a right. lot of instruments. So 
the show was great. It was very intimate, too intimate, and we <laughs> barely fit on the stage. Yeah. So there's definitely a balance between a place being small in a good way and small in just an impractical way. And LCD is a very big band, but that goes for all bands. They all have you know instruments and gear and monitor engineers, and depending on how they like their setup, different venues can work for different people. Yeah, there's so many nuances. Mm-hmm. So many nuances along the way. Did you have to? Did you feel like there was a learning curve in like how everyone likes everything? And oh yeah, oh yeah, always. It, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a testament. I think like making relationships too is like it's half the battle, and it's like what right. you what you learn along the way. Right. Also, they're people. You know, we don't always see. Yeah. <laughs> it's true that we don't always see these musicians as human beings. And that means that their lives and emotions are also fluid and things change all the time. Even if I've been with a band for a really long time, they can still want new things constantly. So it's always about, there's always a learning curve about checking in and and making sure that they're still receiving what they want because people change their minds or change their preferences all the time. Mm. That's a a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, can I ask how you maintained your relationship while you've been involved in touring? Um, It has not always been easy. I've definitely had some simply fail (laughs) because of of a lot of reasons. Being away is, is difficult and being away for long chunks of time are also very difficult. Being so emotionally invested in the job and making space for other people all day also makes that difficult because at the end of the day, when you haven't even had time to reflect on how you felt that day or what you needed, sometimes you can't always give that to your partner as well. So big learning curve in learning how to be in a relationship on the road and um, touring, touring crew is predominantly men, which has also led to a lot of issues (laughs) in (laughs) relationships. Um, being on a road on the road with all men, just sleeping on a bus with twelve dudes, or you know, yeah. <laughs> just constantly being around 30, 40 men at all times, um, can be a really jarring experience for somebody who doesn't necessarily feel confident, or or even people who feel confident, not being able to talk all the time and knowing that your partner is just with thirty dudes that you don't know, or you you know, hopefully get to meet at some point. But yeah, it's. It's hard. Yeah. I think it's harder to be a woman on the road than to be a man on the road. And that might be controversial to say, but just in my experience and seeing the guys that I'm close with date or have wives or have families on the road versus the women, usually once a woman has a family, she doesn't come back to touring. Um, so that's always been interesting to see. Yeah. No, I mean... I, being somebody that travels with a team of all men as well on mm-hmm. occasion in my personal or I guess professional life, even the logistics of going to the bathroom, like mm-hmm. if you think about it, there was one moment we were in another country and we're all in vans and we had rushed from the airport and we pulled over and all the boys like jumped out and immediately started obviously going to the bathroom mm-hmm. and I'm like sitting there and I was like, guess I'll get a UTI. I don't, I'm like, I don't know what to do here. I guess I, guess I will sit here yeah. and close my eyes. I will sit here and I will suffer in silence. But um. Yes, no, yeah, you're right. Even small logistic <laughs> things like that. Sharing a, sharing a bus with men. We have to sh- shower at the venues a mm. lot of the time 
Oh my God, the bolting and triple bolting and having one of them stand outside the door just in case. Yeah, yeah. very, no, very intense. But I think it takes a really special type of woman to be able to just hang with it. And mm-hmm. it's not for everyone and that's totally okay. Totally but fine. the people that do figure things out along the way, I feel like are incredibly important because there is something about a woman being around that, you know, we do, we're emotional caretakers for people a lot of the time. And I feel like, you know, there's a special touch and your energy as well as like, you're so calm. And every time I've seen you, you're, you're smiling and you're like, okay, like, we'll figure that out. Like, you know, it totally, it totally makes sense. There's somebody on that I see you that you have a handshake with. Yes, yeah. Is that your production manager That's that you work with? That's my production manager, yes. No, it's cool. I yes. saw I saw that on your Instagram and I was like, you know, it shows there's like so many cuts and it's just a second of like the handshake in multiple yeah. places all over the world. But I thought that was really special to see that you have a bond with the person that also, you know, does the other the other yes. half. He hired me for LCD in 2016, 17. Anyway, one of my first big tours, he was the production manager on, and we have been fortunate to be able to work on many bands together and chosen to continue working together throughout the years. When you get to form those bonds and have that person that you feel really has your back, it's so important, and you want to just bring them with you (laughs) on other tours when you can. And that's the cool part about being a production manager and a tour manager. When you get to a certain level, you get to request your crew, Mm -hmm. try to build your crew, and bring on the people that you trust and know do their job and that you respect and that respect you. And so that's been a really new part of this all for me and a really cool part. No, that's great. Do you feel like... I had a question about the crew, because I, I also, like, I hire crews, and I think mm-hmm. it's... it's Sometimes you're closer with the crew than you are with the people that are you're working for, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, even though they're working for the same person, you're working for the same person. I my my experience has been sometimes those people care for you more, or they understand what a request requires the response of. If that makes sense, like absolutely. I mean, the crew, that's who you're in the trenches with. Yeah. That's who you're there at. 8 a.m., 7 a.m., sometimes the overnight load-ins, that's who you are working with every day in the grime, in the muck of it all. Um, And I am fortunate enough to have wonderful relationships with the bands that I've worked for as well, the musicians. But you're right, it is different. There is a different element to it just based on in what capacity you get to work together. Yeah. I've also had different roles on tours, been a production coordinator or a tour manager assistant versus a tour manager, and I won't give you the whole boring breakdown of everything unless you want me to, but um, those roles work primarily with the crew. When you get to have a bigger production team, the tour manager usually tends to focus on the band and stay with the band more, and you get production coordinators or tour manager assistants that get to stay with the crew and the production manager a little bit more. Um, just to divide the responsibilities and make sure everybody's cared for. So being in that role, 
you are the crew. You are with the crew. You are involved with everything that they do as well as helping out with the band. Um, just different, different experiences. But yes, you're in the trenches. You're in the trenches with those people. Those are your intense bonds for sure. Yeah. And there's something about time. Mm -hmm. like time playing such a big factor in the depth of the relationships as well like time and distance I feel like when mm -hmm. you're traveling and it's after 1 a.m. I feel yes. like the <laughs> second the clock hits like 1 a.m. you're like we're on a new level together right. <laughs> and usually sometimes we start our days at 1 a.m. Mm -hmm. and we work overnight so yes we've all been there talking about the LCD crew specifically but I mean through breakups, through birthdays, through holidays, through so many things. You, you miss a big chunk of normal life a lot of the times, which is one of the hardest parts about this job. Missing family, friends, birthdays, missing weddings of people in your life, missing your own birthday, missing graduations, whatever it is. So having that bond with those people that you're with is so important and it makes it feel like you're you're still missing something, but you get you've gained something else in return. Yeah. How? Why do you do it? This job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Why do you love it so much? Why do I love it so much? That's a good question. I think it. Let me gather my words. I think that everyone has something in life that gives them purpose and makes them feel validated and fulfilled, whether that be a hobby or a person or a pet, or in my case, doing this job just made me feel fulfilled, like I was doing the right thing and makes me happy. I feel like that's a bad answer. No, but <laughs> no, I think it's a fantastic answer because I think you, you've caught something mm -hmm. that I think eludes a lot of people throughout their lives like it's hard to find that thing and during the pandemic I had to work some other jobs and I got to experience a lot of different things while I was waiting for the industry to come back and it was also an interesting time for me because I've been doing this for so long or so intensely from such a young age I did wonder if I was gonna find something else that made me happier because I had never really done anything besides music since high school when I decided I'm doing music. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I was so miserable. I was so miserable. And I just missed my job. I missed the world. I missed the adrenaline. I missed the fulfillment. I just felt like something was missing. Mm. Music definitely fills a lot of places. It does. Um, where is your favorite place and where do you feel like home if it's not here that's a good question my favorite place to work or my favorite place to visit on tour where is your favorite place to go so to work yeah <laughs> <laughs> um let's see i love working in japan because they're so on top of it just such organized wonderful people to work for and I always have the absolute best time when I'm over there um, I love working around Europe the UK is always very fun because of the connections that I've been able to form working with all these different bands that we've been working with but if you're asking me about home 
I would say that my home is in New York, both physically, but also emotionally. Because I travel so much, um, having my family and my friends here, it's, it's just always nice to be able to come back here and reconnect with, with them and that life. And that's what makes it feel like home. My apartment aside, where, or wherever I'm living aside, it's just having my people who are all primarily in New York, although we're all starting to scatter in our old age. Mm. <laughs> um, that's what makes New York feel like home. Although I could see myself living in, in a lot of places, I feel like my heart would still be where my friends and family are. And like I said, not being able to see them very often just makes it that much more intense of a feeling when I do get to be here and I do get to see everybody. Mm. Do you have a routine when you come home? Like, do you have a favorite spot that you like immediately go to or anything like that? I really like my neighborhood, but I don't have a, a big routine. I haven't really had the time in life to be able to form a routine, to be honest, <laughs> because every time I'm home, it's a different season or a different amount of time. But my, my people are my routine. Like mm. I have the people that I see every time that I'm home. And it doesn't really matter what we do to me as long as I get to spend that time with those people. Again, a bad answer. But yeah, I don't, no, I, I don't really have a, I like a it. home routine. There, Coffee in the morning. And, yeah. <laughs> and jamming in as much social activity as possible so that I can <laughs> reconnect and yeah. you know make people feel like I'm here I'm I think as somebody that sees you from the outside looking in you are always present so I hope I, I hope you that. feel that too um, I try to be but yeah. like we touched on before with relationships I I also have heard the other side and I recognize the other side and I know that people being away is hard and I know that not everybody knows how to feel connected to somebody when they're away for a really long time. And I don't fault anybody for that from my past or in my future, you know, or whatever happens. It's not an easy thing. Yeah. So I recognize that. I think that makes sense. And sometimes the hard things are, are worthwhile. Um, Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> based on your choices here. <laughs> Um, what doesn't, can I ask what an average like tour looks like and how, how long you're gone and how many places you go and those kinds of things? You can. I don't necessarily have a good answer though because it's different for every band based on how big that band is, if they're doing a new album cycle, if they're mm. doing a promo cycle, if they're doing a maintenance cycle, you know, like the old rockers that aren't really promoting any new music but they're always going on tour every couple of years. And then you have different runs. You have North America runs, European runs. If you do Japan, you try to do Australia too, make it worth it financially. Um, so there, there really is no answer to that because it really depends on what the artist is trying to accomplish, how big the artist is, how much money the label will put behind them for that tour. Um, yeah. And I don't really deal with any of that. So an artist will have management and booking agents You've, again, probably interviewed many of them. <laughs> and those are the people that make the deals and set up the tours and make the contracts. And then myself and my production manager are the people that they call when they're ready to go out on the tour. And they say, like, this is what we're doing. This is the schedule, more mm. or less, subject to change, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which it does all the time. 
Uh, and now, you know, this is this, this is what we're thinking for budget. This is what the artist's idea is creatively, what we're trying to accomplish here. Fill in the rest, go. Wow. <laughs> Make it happen. It's fine hotels, it's fine, you know, and then every, everything from there. Um, doesn't turn over to us completely. Like there are teams, you have support, management is involved, people, everyone's involved, but myself and the production manager then handle the, the live traveling tour element of yeah. it. <laughs> no, do you have a favorite, knowing that that is kind of like that they tee everything up and then that's where you come in to, to bring it to life, do you have a favorite part of the process from start to finish? It's always exciting to get the initial schedule, but I'm too seasoned now to know that it's going to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was always the, the exciting part when I first started, seeing, I'm a planner, obviously, seeing the <laughs> year plan, just being able to lay it all out and be like, this is what I'm doing this year. I know that that can be very stressful or anxiety-inducing for some people, but for me, it was really incredible to just see it all laid out. Now I know that it's subject to change and it's <laughs> never gonna be you know, what you see in the beginning, but there's something about that initial step where you get to look at what the plan is and you start to make your own plan in your head of how you're gonna make that work. And then your secondary plan of how you're gonna make your life work around those mm -hmm. dates um, is an interesting challenge for me. So I like that part. Wow. I like that too. I like a I like a calendar. Mine are like mine are color coded. Color, of course, <laughs> yes, it has to be. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. There's always like an element of OCD that's like lurking in the background, and I think that is, it's um it's a curse when you're like, God damn, I don't want to walk up my flight of stairs and check my door again to make sure it's locked, but. It is like a really big blessing when it comes to like figuring shit like this out. Yeah, so. color coordinated, post-it notes, all of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever experienced any technical difficulties like while on tour, and how did that? How, it, it does that completely like record scratch like all alter how the show flows, or is it something that is like recoverable? Uh, it's always recoverable. It has to be, right? You have to find a way to make it work. And yeah, things go wrong all the time. Most of the time, many things go wrong during a show and just nobody notices but us, which is always the goal, right? Yeah. You don't want the audience knowing that anything went wrong. Uh, I have been in a couple of situations where we've had to bring the band off stage and really tinker with some of the gear or try to figure stuff out. That is not entirely my world. I more handle the emotional part of that for the band as the techs, you know, the backline techs or the audio techs or whatever's going wrong at the time need to work out their stations and, and figure out what the issue is. Um, it's never it's never great, it's never fun when that happens, but it's all about how you recover and keeping the band in a good mood and then the band being able to go back out there and continue with what they're doing. Yeah. I've I've had the I've had the blessing of seeing a couple of those moments. Mm -hmm. uh, one on a very small scale and one on a very large scale. 
And it's always interesting to watch the artist recover their footing and handle it very gracefully, mm-hmm. where maybe they notice. I mean, of course, I notice because I'm, I'm here to listen to it and I know the artist or like I've chatted with the artist and I know that they're like frustrated. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a way to recover from it. And I mean, I don't know if you heard about when we were young festival. Oh, yeah. Dashboard confessionals moment. They um they they had two stages next to each other and they switched from like the main stage to the stage next to it. And when they switched, dashboard confessionals sound was completely out. So we heard like raw vocals with mm. like one instrument and like it was you know the crowd banded together to be like we can't hear you because they obviously right. couldn't tell but right. they recovered so gracefully and it was it was just so everyone was like more stoked to see them you know that that had happened so I think it's like the audience is always like unless they're like I don't know fussy but I feel like the audience is really you know rooting for the artist that's up there because they love them and they care and they want to see a good time. Agreed. I also think it's the only time the audience, maybe this isn't true, I think it's one of the times that the audience sees the crew, even just people running on stage, and I think it kind of breaks the fourth wall in a way and reminds the audience that there's a giant team involved in this and everybody's trying to make this happen for you. Obviously, nobody wants there to ever be any technical difficulties. Yeah. I also think... They can be very telling moments with artists. We've all seen videos of artists freak out when there have been technical difficulties or be rude to their crew or be rude to people. And I think that's always interesting for myself and other crew members to see because you never want to work for an artist like that. Yeah, definitely not. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're the people that bring it to life. I know that the artist obviously gets the shine and that's, you know, they are the talent and they are the person whose water you are worrying about if it is the right kind, is it the right temperature, does it have the right bubbles, is it the right, you know, all of that. And one day I hope, you know, people worry about that for for us. But (laughs) Maybe, maybe one day. (laughs) I think that, you know, there's something to having that feeling of appreciation, even if it's just like an understanding of like, you know, I know that you did that, which obviously I think is very present here. Otherwise, I don't think you'd, you know, still be as dedicated and, you know, focused and accomplished. But it's cool. How did you, um, do you get sick of hearing the same songs every night? Um, with some bands, yes. But with some bands, no. Fair. <laughs> I know I've been, you know, obviously talking about them quite a lot, but I could, I, I never get sick of LCD. So. Yeah. I feel like they're dynamic, you know? Yeah. They also change the set up. I think it's different. Some tours have the same set every single night. Some tours change it up. Um, and every band is different. Every tour is different. An artist is different with how they want to do that. That also contributes, though, obviously, being on some tours where it's the same exact show every single night. Yes, that can get a little yeah. bit repetitive. Um, but I'm always running around during the show as well. The techs have to be completely present in their stations, watching the whole show every single night. I am more fluid during that time and going backstage in front of house and checking on things, checking on people. So I'm not necessarily strapped to the side of the stage, forced to listen to the set. 
but for some bands I would be and yeah. I can be whenever you know whenever I can be I am there <laughs> yeah no I didn't know that actually like I genuinely thought that every artist was like okay I'm on tour and this is my set list and then they do that set list until I'd never seen a band twice in a row either mm-hmm. and this year I had the privilege of seeing My Chemical Romance twice and the first night you know they played one set and the second night they changed it and I was like wait Wow. You can do that? Like, I had no concept. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, I think it's better for the band, too, you know, keeping it fun and interesting for them. Going back to what we said before with energy, keeping their own energy up by challenging themselves and switching up the orders of the songs. I think it brings a lot for both the band and the crew and the audience. So, Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that... Um, I think that they do a really amazing job of bringing, obviously, energy, but the the thing that struck me was the power mm-hmm. that's there that I didn't expect at all. I was like, I don't know any other songs besides this one, and I'm really happy to be here, and this is really special. And, yeah, that makes sense to me. Can I ask how you developed your relationship with them? Was it, like, and not in the terms of, like, how do you know them, but in terms of, like, how did you, did you listen? Did you spend time? Like, was it just being on set or? With the with this band or just in general? Um, this band. I think, well, I'll speak a little more generally first. I think that knowing your artists and getting to know them from afar, kind of like what I was saying before, being a fly on the wall in the beginning is very important because every artist is different. And whether you have a good relationship with them or not, at the end of the day, it is a work environment. And I think that because we're all together all the time, a mistake that can be made really early on is being too comfortable or feeling too relaxed or like you're just hanging out with your friends, even if you are friends. Because at the end of the day, I am there to be responsible, to put everybody in bands at the end of the night, not to drink and hang out and chill and joke around. You know, I mean, I get to do those things, but recognizing who the artist is and how they prefer to be taken care of, spoken to, treated, both in front of the band and in front of other people and behind closed doors is crucial. And then that's how you can, you know, act and prepare yourself to act as you start to get closer to them. And I don't mean act like acting where you're being phony or fake, but just learning where those boundaries are for you to both be appropriate and do your job extremely well and also friendly and bond with them. I think yeah. Yeah. No, no that's think, a beautiful <laughs> no, that's a subject. beautiful that's a beautiful answer too because I think there's something you it speaks volumes of your ability to read and respond mm-hmm. to people. And even though I sometimes have trouble like picking up on those context clues or those like facial expressions. And so I think it really does speak uh, volumes of your ability to be observant and then action on and be respectful. Right. Like that's why you're good at your job. Right. <laughs> I mean, LCD specifically in the beginning, they, you know, they started to be like, you can come and hang out with it. Like you can, you can have more of this bond than you think. But I'm still glad that I took the time to figure that out 
for myself first and like decide my own boundaries first. Because like I said, it's easy, especially when artists are really nice to kind of rush into it, but you're there to do a job and you have to make sure first and foremost, you're doing that job to the best of your ability and you're delivering for these people what they want you to deliver. And then once that part of the relationship is solid, once they trust you as a work person, once they know that you're gonna get the job done and that you see when they're struggling or when they're happy or when they need something, or you know, my goal is to try to have them never have to ask me for anything. Mm. I want to be able to see what, and that's not always possible, because like I said, we're all humans, they're humans, and people change their mind, and I'm a human, uh, you know, I can't always read everyone's mind as well, but I try my best too. And when that part of the relationship is really solid, and they know that you are there to look out for them and have their best interests, and I know that they can trust and appreciate what I'm doing, then the friendship just blossoms on its own. Then the bond forms on its own and everybody gets to feel more comfortable and just like happy to be around each other. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's really special because I think when you work with people that are people, that people know mm -hmm. and that people want to know and that people will try to use you to know, I think that it gets really hard to be yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, not because you're walking on eggshells, depending on the situation, but because you're responsible for something so important to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, like the live shows are when people get to perceive them or get to make judgments, or, you know, they're doing something that is. This word intimacy is really, you know, coming up tonight. It's but a key I, word. yeah, it is. It is. I think there's something about that, and there's, you know, some people might like that openness, and obviously they have to to do what they do. But you know, being on that side of it and being responsible for something that big, and in your case, extremely iconic to the whole New York ecosystem of music, um, you're kind of the gatekeeper and the protector in the way too. And you're obviously really good at it. So. I try, I try <laughs> to protect them. Yeah, and it's like sometimes you can't and right. that's always that's always fun um, to not fail, but like to just be like, I wish I could just, you know, do everything. Right. But right. that's the balance too. But It's interesting that you said, you know, fail because that brings up another thought about these relationships when you have such close bonds sometimes hearing negative feedback can be difficult as well or sometimes artists don't even give you feedback at all but that's an interesting part of the relationship and I think when you have like I said that good bond in the beginning of job first and like trust first before the friendship you get to have those open lines of communication about the job, even if it was like, I didn't like how you did that. I, I don't like this. I want this to be different or it bothered me when you did this. And you have to be able to take those things as an employee at the end of the day or as a coworker at the end of the day over as a friend, even though you are friends, you have to be able to separate those lines so that you can adjust and do the best job that you're there to do. That takes a high level of emotional maturity, too. Yeah. Which you obviously... <laughs> Trial and error, hey. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, like I said, there's always a learning curve. You're always 
you're always learning something new. In every job that you do, there's always room for growth. There's always room for improvement. And you just have to try your best. Yeah. Do you think about the residencies as a tour? I do. I do. And it can be a little bit hard because I live in New York. And sometimes it feels like I'm home for this amount of time. But I work, we work, the crew, you know, work such long days that it's easier to think of it as a tour as opposed to being home. Because I don't really have the luxury of time off of being home. I am working all of those days. Um, So yes, I view it as a tour. It's easier to separate it mentally that way. But I get to sleep in my own bed, so I do appreciate that. Yeah, (laughs) hotel beds are they're great, but they can be a little lonely. I love hotel beds. I it's the bus that's the kicker. Mm. Do you have you? I'm assuming yes, but the big big tour buses that Mm -hmm. like they drive around and drive up to the venue. Yep. Was that cool the first time and then like not cool anymore after that or was it? It was so cool cool the first time. Um, I haven't been on a bus in a while actually since pre-pandemic. So I do wonder what it's going to be like coming back to that. Uh, It was so cool. It's cool to be on a bus. It's very convenient in a lot of ways. Your suitcase lives on the bottom of the bus. You go in and out of the hotel, in and out of the venue. It's very contained. As a tour manager now, I very much appreciate it, as opposed to flights, boarding passes, getting everybody to and from the airport, making sure people are awake, making sure everyone's on the plane. Like, There's a lot more logistical chaos that goes into flights than ever just being like, everyone needs to be on the bus at 2 a.m. It's rolling away. And if you're not on the bus at 2 a.m., Bye. It's still my problem. No, yeah. I, I was going to say it's not my problem, but, but it's, it's always 100%. my problem. Um, but I like to pretend like it wouldn't be. Yeah, there's something cool about it. The bonding is similar to the van, just like the bonding that gets to happen because you are forced to all be together. However, living on a bus with 11 men can also just be quite stressful in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, gross in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah. as well. So yeah. the grass is always greener, right? There's yeah. good and bad to it all. And I look fondly back on my time being on the buses. The bunks are very interesting. It's like a little coffin. You have a, a curtain. Yeah, they're stacked three on top of each other. Three. And there's two rows of that. So there's 12 people on a bus. On headliner buses for the artists, sometimes they can convert the back room into a bedroom. But typically for crews, you have 12 people in these tiny bunks, and it's like a little coffin with a curtain on the wall, and you crawl up into your space, and you can't even fully sit up. And you close your curtain, and that's your privacy. Do you like top or bottom bunk? I like middle bunk. Really? Middle bunk. Why? Uh, The top's too high difficult to climb in and out of and I'm always like the first one in to the venue last one out of the venue so exhausted by the end of the night so climbing up and down is just a pain in the ass Uh, (laughs) and then being on the floor you're by everybody's like feet all the time so middle is where it's at everybody always fights over the middle bunks and there's a hierarchy in the Mm. in like bunk picking it's a whole thing (laughs) It it gets very intense sometimes um, and you have to go like by position first and then by seniority a lot of the time. And people always get stuck with the top bunks. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Do you have any 
traditions on tour together? Traditions? Um, that's a good question as well. When we get to be on tour for Halloween, we all take Halloween very seriously. I feel like these Brooklyn Steels have become a tradition of their own for yeah. LCD. We're really excited to make it through all 20 this year. Yeah. We're going to hit our 50th show at Brooklyn Steel in the middle of this run, so I'm sure there'll be celebrating involved in that. But I can't think of any other traditions that we have. We drink together, we dine together, we celebrate birthdays together, and that's kind of it. I love it. Um, what's next for you? So I'm still working out what's going to happen in 2023. We'll see. <laughs> I love it. And what would you say to someone that is younger and wants to be in music or is just starting out or wonders about what a, a job like yours is? Like, what would you say to either them or the younger version of yourself? To everybody else, I would say do everything you can. Every shitty gig, every low paying gig, do anything that you can. See what you like. Because there's so many different sides of music that people don't really get to talk about or don't necessarily understand. And you're not going to know what you like until you try. And don't get discouraged by those shittier, in air quotes, gigs or the lower paying gigs. Just do what you can and see what makes you happy. Because once you figure that out, you can stick to that and move up the ladder and just, you know, make your way through. But don't be afraid to take everything in the beginning. I took all sorts of weird, small, tiny gigs. And like we were saying before, looking back, they're so fun and they're so weird. And I have all these crazy stories that I would have never gotten to experience. Even if I didn't continue pursuing that part of the industry, I'm still grateful for the experience. And I got to learn what I didn't like. Like, okay, I'm, I don't like doing the record label side of it. I don't like doing this side of it. And it just gives you, you know, it puts you one more step closer to finding what you do really like. And to my younger self, I would just say, you got this. You got this. It's going to be okay. The imposter syndrome, accept it and keep going. It's going to be okay. Mm. I love that. And thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, this has been really fun and really special. Are you going to come to the Brooklyn Steel Show this year? Of course. Okay, great. <laughs> I would love to.